Hello and welcome to the AMA Update, our video and podcast series. Today we're discussing innovation in rural healthcare. I'm joined today by Dr. Jeremy Calls, Chief Physician at Sanford Health in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Dr. Kenrick Maynard, Chair of the Medicine Institute at Geisinger Health System in Danville, Pennsylvania. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Calls, Dr. Maynard, thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for having us. Appreciate it. Good to be here today. Well, Dr. Calls, let's begin with you. You've said that simply living in a rural community is an adverse social determinant of health. Let's start by talking about why that is. We talk a lot about social determinants of health. I'm not sure uh, that comes top of mind when people think about that. Sure. Just in a recent report in the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst, uh, they revealed a lot of barriers to providing excellent health in uh, rural areas. Um, Recruitment and retention of physicians, distance and travel time to where you're going um, are just a couple of them. Um, I think where we live, three to four hours is not an unreasonable transit time to get to your nearest medical center. When you do that, putting off things like your mammogram or your next colonoscopy are absolutely things where they sometimes get lost in the hustle and bustle of daily life, no matter where you are. I think diabetes is still diabetes. Heart disease is still heart disease. And whether you live in South Dakota or New York, I think it's still easier to find a cheeseburger or a pack of cigarettes than it is to find access to health care. And I think as long as that stays out there, it's going to continue to be a problem. Right now, interestingly enough, in the rural area, uh, the other thing we see is that this is not the best time for farmers to be in and getting any sort of health care. This is the harvest. Um, and I can tell you, if you see a harvesting farmer come in right now, something is very seriously wrong because they're not coming in with anything less than, you know, Uh, a severe illness until the harvest is completely brought in. The other areas I would say is um, mental and behavioral health. 91% of the counties in North Dakota are designated as mental health shortage areas. Um, We're committed to removing that barrier, particularly by bringing virtual care options and bringing areas where people can still see their provider, even if they can't drive to see them. Well, those kinds of access issues uh, and, and uh, what you talked about in terms of just ability to get there and travel times, that is a, that is a big challenge. Dr. Maynard, I know that Geisinger serves both rural and urban areas, so you have a unique perspective to see the differences between these two patient populations. Do you see the same uh, kind of challenges uh, that we just talked about in serving your rural patients? And how do you compare those to what you see Uh, as those experienced by their urban counterparts? Yeah, I would say there are similar categories of challenges for both rural and urban patients. The difference may be by a matter of degrees and scope effect. For example, access to care in our rural populations is often predicated by distance to primary care and subspecialty services. Often it could be a matter of several miles or sometimes hours, Dr. Kyle was mentioned as well. Our mission has been to, you know, make healthcare easier and, and provide patient primary care where needed, subspecialty access closer to home as well. In urban areas, access may not be predicated on the geographical distance, but rather timely access to care. After all, if you're living only five minutes away from a primary care physician or subspecialist, but you can't get that appointment for several months, then there's still an effective barrier to care. Um, the issue is not the same, but related. In geographical access to care, I think transportation or lack thereof is also a barrier to both the rural, particularly, and sometimes urban 
um, patient populations that we serve. Um, and then finally, I think broadband has been uh, really noticed as a potential barrier to our rural health population. Maybe not so much in the urban areas as we're going along and, and uh, continuing to offer telemedicine to uh, many of our patients throughout the system. And I would say finally, socioeconomic factors affect both rural and urban patient populations as they still try to navigate this complex medical system that we have. And as much as possible, we aim to democratize healthcare, provide care in a manner that makes it accessible to all who need it, preferably in their communities. Well, maybe it's because of the challenges that you're facing, uh, but both of your systems are well known for being at the forefront of medicine. I think that might surprise people because maybe there's an assumption that uh, we think that urban hospitals are there kind of driving the innovation. Dr. Mader, why don't you start and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, why does rural healthcare provide a great space for medical innovation? Yes, thank you for asking. Serving rural populations, I think, really means that you have to understand the community needs um, and tailor those services to fill care gaps that might exist. Uh, rural communities provide, provide a fertile ground for understanding uh, those needs. Um, and in many ways, uh, those constellation of efforts mean that you have to be efficient in resource allocation. You have to be thoughtful in the way you're distributing and making programs. And so I think one unique initiative that we've made into a program is our fresh, fresh food pharmacy program. And it specifically tailors around uh, poorly controlled diabetics with food insecurity in our communities that we serve. Uh, it provides fresh fruits and vegetables along with lean meats to diabetic patients. In addition, they receive uh, nutrition classes and cooking advice. And, and being a value-based organization, anytime we can shift care upstream within primary care and get to some of those basics to address uh, those insecurities, the downstream consequence has led to a significant improvement of overall healthcare results. What we've seen is approximately a 40% reduction and they're a hemoglobin A1C. So from a numerical standpoint, that's a decrease of two to three points. Uh, quality measured care gaps have closed and we've seen them increase overall from 50 to 70%. We've had a reduction in inpatient and ED utilization among this group and 30% increase use in primary care and overall engagement. So what that speaks to is when in these environments, when you can address some of these basic needs and have programs around them, uh, you can really improve health to the community. So we're looking to expand this to other vulnerable patient populations like chronic renal disease as well. Those are some incredible statistics uh, and probably things people aren't thinking about when they think about innovation. Dr. Calls, when you think about this same thing, and again, driving innovation in a rural setting, you know, what, what do you think about that? Well, I think for us, it's about the steadfast commitment of ensuring that our patients have the access to the right care at the right time in the right place. And that has to be no matter where you live. I think uh, Dr. Eric Topol was the one that said previously, we have to change it to the patient will see me now. Um, it's not, I will set something up and the patient has to conform to my rules. But rather for us, it's a 1 million patients over 250,000 square miles. You know, we need to be able to bring things to our patients where they need them. For us, a couple of those examples include um, OB video visits. Um, as anybody who's ever had a baby knows, coming in for a 10 or 15 minute appointment on a routine basis is fine if you live across town. It's not fine if you live two or 300 miles away from your obstetrician. 
And so decreasing those visits by up to one third helps tremendously. In behavioral health, we've shown clearly across our organization that the net promoter scores of our patients who get virtual behavioral health um, options actually improve over our average outpatient behavioral health scores. They like it better if they can see the doctors where they need to. Uh, right now, one in five of our uh, behavioral health appointments are scheduled virtually. Um, we've provided 600,000 virtual consults over the last decade um, and 20 million miles saved by our patients driving back and forth to uh, places where we have clinics, whether it be on country roads or through the harsh winter weather we're uh, gearing up for now. That's a lot of miles uh, and uh, what an advantage uh, that's coming through in this course that you talk about. Let's stick with this idea about, uh, again, innovation in this space. Um, Dr. Carl, Sanford, uh, Sanford Health is literally uh, doing groundbreaking innovation. In August, you broke ground on what will become the Sanford Virtual Care Center. Let's talk about what the vision is for that center and the gaps that it's looking to fill. Sure. So we were blessed with the opportunity of having $350 million to help understand what virtual care really looks like. For us, it's really about sort of six key pillars. Number one is innovation. We got to make sure we're bringing new and um, existing clinical trial opportunities to people who otherwise wouldn't have access to them. It's also about care delivery. We want our patients to save on time, travel, and expense. We want a streamlined experience that gets them to the doctor in the doctor's office when they need it. But if they don't need to be there, how can we make sure they can stay closer to home, closer to work, closer to their kids? Um, in education, one of the things we wanna do is start training physicians, residents, medical students, and nurses to provide this kind of care. Uh, we have to do a good job of making sure they understand the differences between somebody in your office and somebody on your screen. We have to continue to improve access. You know, the goal eventually is that the patient will see me when they're ready, and that ready can be at a moment's notice. Now, we're not there today, but that's absolutely part of the dream. And it's about dedicating a virtual team. We have to be able to have a team of people who do this for a living, who truly are experts in the field. And community learning on how our communities need to deal with this and how they can get involved. So as you said, we broke ground on a 60,000 square foot facility here recently. Um, and we're building that out so we can build things like satellite clinics. Um, what if your um, small town of less than 2,500 people had a clinic on Main Street? What if you knew the nurse that was working there and you could get to any doctor you wanted without ever leaving that clinic? Um, because we would bring them virtually to you. One of our goals is also to make sure that we're improving on waiting time, making virtual visits possible within 24 hours rather than you know, waiting weeks or months to see a specialist. And then the other thing we hope to do is transition more than 350,000 outpatient visits a year to care from home you know, and continue to extend that over more than 275 clinics across the Midwest. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. So interesting to think about the kind of real-life infrastructure that it takes to pull off great virtual care. 
Um, one of the things that kind of just keying on what you talked about before is this idea of kind of uh, not needing the patient to come in because you're monitoring them remotely. Dr. Maynard Geisinger uh, has had a lot of success in remote patient monitoring. Will you tell us more about uh, that kind of success and what are, you, what are you doing going forward from here? Absolutely. Clearly, we learned through the pandemic that utilizing telemedicine with a component of patient monitoring was absolutely essential and fortunately possible. At the height of COVID, our Geisinger at, at home team uh, was able to provide a central monitoring of key vital signs and in-person and telemedicine visits for care at home. Uh, it, it provided the ability to expand the care of patients without admitting them to the hospital, which were full capacity or beyond. Um, and it ended up being a very cost-effective patient-centric model with high levels of patient satisfaction. Um, like other healthcare institutions, the, the pivot uh, to telemedicine occurred uh, from marginal to a significant uh, percentage of our clinical visits. Um, and we use that experience really to understand what we can do uh, now and into the future. Today, within the Medicine Institute, approximately 12 to 15% of all clinical visits occur through telemedicine. And, and where possible, uh, for those individuals that have geographical uh, uh, difficulties getting to our clinical areas or broadband difficulties, we have a primary care clinic where they can go near their home that's set up for telemedicine to be able to have that subspecialty care and visit associated with it, a health hub concept, uh, if you will. Um, so all of that uh, to say that we're going to continue to explore uh, opportunities to care for patients at home. Um, the telemedicine and remote monitoring capabilities to bring that within the home setting is absolutely, I think, the vision of the future. Um, and, and patients will continue to thrive, I think, uh, with additional support. Patient populations that have CHF um, and COPD, I think, are other examples of uh, chronic uh, care populations that we can continue to help avoid unnecessary ED and inpatient admissions. Well, let's uh, spend uh, a little uh, time before we close here thinking about the future and how do you take the learning and the innovation that uh, both of your systems uh, are doing right now and kind of lay out a vision for the future. Uh, obviously, you know, we think about telemedicine, it requires, you know, a lot more than technology infrastructure, uh, it requires a lot of collaboration. Why don't we start, Dr. Calls, with talking about what Sanford's doing uh, and bringing together uh, the kind of folks that are it's going to take to uh, really have uh, models like this uh, take hold. You had a summit in August uh, that brought leaders together. Talk about what you learned there, why you do this, and how you're going to influence uh, folks at the forefront of rural healthcare innovation. Thanks, Todd. Um, in August, we did indeed get together with a what we call a summit on the future of rural healthcare. Uh, we brought together together U.S. Senators uh, John Thune and Tina Smith, uh, leaders from Salesforce, Microsoft Health, Medtronic, the AMA, uh, the Advisory Board, Care Journey, and CMS's Office of Minority Health. And I think it was really about bringing together what you might consider the whole team. How do you bring together a group of people who are all focused on the same thing? And so making sure that that access becomes affordable, accessible, equitable, and quite honestly, sustainable for gener generations to come is making sure that we put the physician voice at the forefront, but that all of the pieces we need to provide good care all come in and, and lend themselves to more high quality, seamless care. And I really think that's sort of the driving force of bringing together a group like that. 
And obviously, uh, one of those key players that uh, we think a lot about and how we terms we've approached virtual care, telemedicine over the past few years, obviously, uh, the government. Uh, and it's really important that uh, physicians, health systems are talking to legislators, policymakers to make sure that they have uh, a very strong sense of what's needed, uh, especially as we try to uh, serve rural residents better. Um, Dr. Maynard, talk about Geisinger's Rural Health Policy Institute and how you're leveraging that to achieve objectives there on the legislative side. Yes, thank you. Uh, the Institute brings together diverse multidisciplinary groups of professionals really to conduct research focused on finding workable solutions to rural healthcare policy issues. Um, as an organization, we want to use the platform that we have uh, to advocate for our patients and their needs. And uh, one uh, recent example is uh, Karen Murphy, uh, Geisinger um, EVP, um, and, and her colleagues uh, had a, an article in JAMA which proposed a strategy to preserve rural hospitals. Uh, the vision, which uh, subsequently developed into the Pennsylvania rural health model, uh, was really to continue to provide support and opportunities to transition from a fee-for-service reimbursement system based on volume to a multi-payer global budget payment method based upon value um, and intended to prove outcomes uh, and quality of care while lowering cost. This is currently a, an initiative being done within the state of Pennsylvania. It's got a six run uh, year limit uh, and we'll reevaluate and see what the results are uh, in the next year or two. We should be able to continue to get data on this. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we want to continue to uh, forgo hospital closures as we know that uh, given the financial difficulties that were present before COVID, uh, it contributed significantly to rural hospital closures. And that trend has only continued now in our current uh, healthcare environment, uh, we realize that rural hospitals provide not only essential care, but also bring economic stability uh, to the region. And we believe that highlighting research and the effects of policy implications on rural communities is a core function of caring for our communities that we serve. Well, last question, and Dr. Maynard, let's start with you. What do you see as the most exciting thing uh, in this space about rural healthcare innovation? I, I believe that uh, we are getting and gaining significant traction on understanding that uh, the mores of um, telemedicine and, and those patient populations not being amenable to them or um, the intersection of now community technology policy decisions, we really can make a difference. That there are real programs and real efforts uh, when we all uh, stack hands and put resources behind it to improve the health, the welfare, and the lives of our rural community residents. And, and again, uh, Dr. Collins has already mentioned, so much of that really brings to bringing the resources back to the community, having healthcare be local, um, and being able to educate um, and give the communities they need in order to also be more engaged in, in the process of improving their own lives. Dr. Carls, what, what excites you about the future? I think the privilege of caring for and supporting our patients and, and residents, the other people in our communities, is a responsibility we don't take for granted. And I think the advent of virtual care gives us tremendous possibilities to improve the health and well-being of all those folks we serve. I think being able to develop a doctor's website manner, not just their bedside manner, is going to be absolutely key to making sure that as we shape the future for health care, 
generations to come will still be able to connect with their doctor in a way that they feel is real and in a way that they feel brings them the best health care they can have no matter where they live. You know, I get to talk to a lot of physicians, but it's the first time I've heard the term website manner. Uh, so I learned uh, just yet another thing of many that we got to talk about today. Uh, Dr. Calls and Dr. Maynard, thank you and your system, Sanford and Geisinger, for all the work that they're doing to take care of this patient population and for the innovation uh, in this space. Uh, you can learn more about uh, what the AME is up to to support America's physicians and its work uh, in telehealth uh, as an integrated part of the care uh, for long-term uh, patients' uh, recovery. Um, visit ama-assn.org slash recovery plan. We'll be back soon with another AMA update. You can find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care.